Uh, good evening. My name is Trisha, and today's second Bible reading is taken from James chapter 3, verses eight, 13 to 18, and this can be found on your Pew Bible on page 1268 or on the screen in front of you. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil, every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. This is God's word. Well, friends, we're going to spend the next um, segment reflecting on that passage from James. Uh, Do keep your Bibles open. We'll work our way through those uh, verses. And if you do have the newsletter outline, there's an outline of the sermon there that, that might be helpful for you to take notes. Well, let's once again, let's pray that God might teach us what we're meant to learn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we reflect on wisdom and wisdom that comes from above, that you'll help us to think your thoughts after you and to live lives that are for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you know every year how we all get older. It goes without saying, doesn't it? We all get older every single year. I reached a milestone this past week. It's called the midlife crisis which may mean eventually you won't see a people mover in the minister's car park spot, but perhaps a motorbike, a convertible, if that's at all possible, if one of you will donate one of that to me. Uh, But what do people normally say on your birthday? They say all sorts of things, don't they? They give you all kind wishes. On one of the cards I got this past week, I got this message. I hid in the name just to protect the guilty. You know that you're still young when the number of hairs on your head outnumber your age. I read that and I thought that's nice and comforting. Thank you, whoever wrote that. But often what do you hear on your birthday? A year older means a year... Anyone? Wiser? Yeah, a year older means... That's the saying, isn't it? A year older means... A year wiser. And so after this morning, when I shared the same message, uh, someone texted me and and sent me another card, and and this was what he said. Another year older and none the wiser. But we like that to be true, don't we? A year older, older, a year wiser. But do you think that is true? Is it true the older you get, the wiser you get? And so the wisest amongst us are those with, with gray hairs? What do you think? A year older, a year wiser. 
but is it true? Or is it possible that you can grow old and year by year it comes, but you remain a fool? Older, but none the wiser. Does age always equate to wisdom? Or is wisdom more equated to cleverness, intelligence, brilliance of mind? Can you be so exceptionally brilliant, a high IQ, a high achiever, but yet still make a mess of life and still be a fool? Is that possible? There was a, a prominent professor of psychology, the former president of the Psychological Association of America, Robert Sternberg. He did extensive study in human intelligence. That was his specialty. And you know what he concluded? He concluded what we already know. He said, you can be very smart, highly rewarded by schools and universities and even by society. We, we uphold those who are smart and intelligent. We honour them. But yet at the same time, very smart, but very stupid, very self-destructive. That was his conclusion. And in one article he said, As I studied IQ and analytical intelligence, I have seen people with high IQs. They have test scores and degrees, but put them in a job or a relationship and they make a mess of it. And in another article titled this, The Stupidity of the Intelligence. Isn't that ironic? The stupidity of the intelligence. Age doesn't always help. Because as you just reflect on what we see, what you may have experienced, people you know, why is it that very successful executives of corporations, very intelligent, very smart, they have a wife and kids, they have a family of their own, but yet they would choose to have an affair and so destroy their marriage and destroy their families. In fact, in 2015, if you remember this, millions of people were exposed, their private information exposed, when the dating website Ashley Madison was hacked. Do you remember that story? A lot of them were CEOs, politicians, executives. According to a recent research done by McCrindle, one in three marriages will end in divorce. And many of those are very intelligent people. Why? How is that possible? Well, why is it that not even that long ago, and a US president, I remember this and it was so shocking at the time, so powerful, so powerful, in fact, the most powerful man in the world, would betray the trust of his wife and the trust of the nation and have an affair with a White House staff. How, how do you come to bring yourself to do such a thing? Scandal after scandal. Or why is it, and you may know people like this, in the pursuit of wealth and comfort and security, looking for the stuff of the world, but leaving a wake of lies and hurt and broken relationships. I mean, as a pastor, I've heard stories, many stories. One who's so successful, a high achiever, a, a leader in his field, but yet in the household it's chaos. Is it not because age is not all that matters, nor does wisdom, nor does intelligence, sorry, or cleverness help? 
And so what is needed? What is needed so that life is not a mess? Well, what is needed is what we see in this passage. It is wisdom. It is wisdom, which can come with age, but not always. And so my question to all of you this evening is the question James asks us. Are you wise? What do you think? Are you wise? Do you consider yourself to be amongst the wise? Do your friends, your family, do they look upon you as one of the wise? Will your friends be those who would come to you for advice because you are wise? Are you wise? You see, that's the question James begins with in this passage. It's almost like a challenge. Have a look. Keep your Bibles open to James 3. Verse 13, it's a challenge. It's like, if you think you're wise, then stand up and show yourself. Look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise? I mean, he can ask that question today, can't he? To us, to our world. Who is wise amongst us? You see, in human history, in the pursuit of knowledge and learning and understanding, we now, today, we live longer than ever before. In Australia, in 19, the 1960s, the life expectancy was only about 70 years. Now it's over 80 years. We're living longer. We're healthier. We eat better today. You go to the supermarkets today, and what do you see? You see all sorts of variety of healthy food. Low GI, low fat, no sugar, no taste stuff. That's all healthy for you. Eat it up. We're healthier than ever before, and we're more comfortable than ever before. I mean, they are, they are our homes, our cars, far more comfortable than just even a decade ago. And we're far more informed than any time in history. I mean, just as a, a few buttons on your phone, and you've got an overload of information. Back in my time, when I was young, to, to learn, to get information, you had to go to the library. You have to use an encyclopedia, these big, massive books. I still have one at my parents' place. Never used it. That's why I'm like this. We're overloaded with information. We're healthier. We live longer. We're more comfortable. But it seems so ironic that humanity is just as confused as it ever was. And so James asked that question, who is wise amongst you? You see, we cannot even answer, so many cannot even answer that simple question, who am I? I mean, you've got philosophers over centuries trying to work out, who am I? Am I what I eat, what I do, how I look? And so people spend their life going to gyms, pursuing careers, changing their body image, trying to find their identity. With all the learning and scholarship, we can't even answer, who am I? And yet today, what do we expect of children? We expect little children to determine and make up their own moral framework, to determine even their own gender at a couple years of age. And so that is our world. And so James calls out, who is wise and understanding among you? Stand up, show yourself. And so how do you work out if you're wise or unwise? Well, do you notice here, James does not, he does not get us to sit an IQ test, nor does he get us to go and get a degree, or not, nor does he get us to try to succeed in the eyes of the world. 
Instead, the wise are those who show it by how they live. Not by what they know, but by how they live. You see, we all know so many things. That's not what's important. What's important is how you live. You see, we all know, don't we, that if you want good, healthy relationships, you need to love. We know that. But if you do not live that out and your relationships are not shaped by love, you are unwise. We all know that honesty is the best policy. But unless that shapes the way we speak, our dealings with each other, our business dealings, then you are unwise. We all know, don't we, that if you want a relationship that has been broken to be restored, you need forgiveness. We know that. It's information we know. It's what we understand. But unless you do put it into practice, you are unwise. And so how are we meant to understand wisdom? Wisdom is God's truth applied to life. As simple as that. It is God's truth applied to life. Not what I know, a big head, but a big heart and a life that reflects that. It is about character. It is about your deeds, not your imagination or your ideas. It is seen in your life. And so verse 13 again, have a look with me. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Now reflect on that for a moment, verse 13. What do you think that suggests? What that suggests there is that if we observe each other long enough, watch how we speak to one another, watch how we speak about one another, watch how we act and relate to one another, we can see whether you are wise or unwise. We can see in ourselves whether we are wise or unwise. You see, wisdom is God's truth applied to life, and so you can see it. Living God's way is the right way, and that is wise. Now, many of you may have heard of Peter Adam. Peter Adam was the former principal of Ridley College. He will be our camp speaker next year. When he was principal, he exhorted the students at the Bible College, students who will one day become pastors and ministers and missionaries and gospel workers. He will exhort them, you need to be wise. I mean, you've spent years learning theology, systematic theology, languages. You've got a head filled with knowledge now. But you need to be wise when you enter the ministry. Because, you see, one false move, one unwise mistake, and you can destroy your marriage, your family, and your ministry in the one go. And so be wise. Wisdom is God's truth applied to life, living it, not just knowing it. And so what that means then is that the alternative is completely unwise. And so to be bitter, to be selfish, to be proud, that's not God's way. Do you see the language here, to see the words? It's quite shocking. It's not just not God's way, it is the devil's way. And so you see, what, what James says here, you can have God's wisdom or the devil's wisdom, which leads to evilness and destruction. 
Look at verses 14 and 15. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and you notice that, of the devil. Now when we read that, just before we start pointing fingers, it should cause us to reflect on our own hearts. I mean, when was the last time, because of how you've been hurt and the bitterness you feel and felt, you lashed out? You were hurtful. You took revenge. That's unwise. Or when was the last time you acted selfishly because it's just far more convenient? It's easier. No one will know. To be selfless takes so much effort. Well, that would be unwise. And so that's to get us to reflect on our own hearts first. No finger pointing here. And so you see here, being intelligent and clever, even older, does not necessarily mean wiser. If our lives do not reflect God's truth, then it's the devil's. Now verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And isn't that what we see in communities, corporations, institutions, where those, if they are selfish and ambitious, it leads to all sorts of destruction and evil. For example, the Nazi regime. Remember that, World War II? Hitler and his leaders, extremely ambitious. Boy, were they ambitious. But also, extremely intelligent. Extremely intelligent. The average IQ of the Nazi leadership was 129, which is above the average. But what did they do with that intelligence? They invented all sorts of brutal ways of killing in the concentration camps. Or nations where the leaders are selfish and ambitious and self-seeking, the rulers, the politicians, there you'll also find corruption, kickbacks, bribery, embezzlement. In my brief research, the one who takes the cakey was Indonesian President Suharto, embezzled over $15 billion from his nation. Or corporations where you have greedy executives. There, what do you find? You find cover-ups and fraud. Anyone here remember HIH Insurance? Big trouble there. Or even Bank West, they had some trouble too. Or in the States, many companies, Enron. But of course, not just corporations and institutions, also the home. If in the home, when there are members of the household, the father or mother or brother or sister or cousin or whoever, when they live lives that is selfish, ambitious, self-seeking, what do you find in such a household? You will also find disorder and chaos and conflict. But you see, God's wisdom is different. God's wisdom is God's truth applied to life. And if it is God's truth, then you can only get it from God. It must also come from God. It's why when you look in Psalm chapter 111, Proverbs 1, Proverbs 9, Ecclesiastes 12, 
It speaks about the beginning of wisdom. How do you begin on the path of wisdom? Do you know the answer? What is the beginning of wisdom? It is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But how is that so? How does that make sense? How is it that fearing God is the beginning of wisdom? The beginning of living rightly. It is because if as human beings we do not even know God, that God is God and we are his mere creatures, then we do not even know the first thing about being human. If we do not know God, we do not know the first thing about being human. It's how we understand who we are. And so you see the age-old question. Philosophers spending years thinking, who am I? Who am I? Well, the answer is here in Scripture. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, which means when you fear God, you know where you are placed in the universe. You are not God. You are his creature, made in his image to have a relationship with him. Broken, a failure, living a shameful life, falling short of the glory of God, yes, but important, with dignity and worth because humans are made in the image of God. And so wisdom comes from God above. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And to live wisely is to reflect really what God is like himself. To live wisely is to allow God's character to shape my own character so that my life reflects what God is like. And so that's what we see. Verse 17, have a look now. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, that is, it is from God himself, is first of all pure, which means this wisdom is it's blameless. It's without fault or blemish or stain. It's unable to produce anything evil. It is pure. And then we read, it is peace-loving. The wisdom from God is peace-loving. You see, you can always tell if someone is wise in a conflict. If you can observe it as, as a third party and you observe how they deal with conflict, you can see whether they're wise or unwise. Because the wise is peace-loving, always working towards unity and peace as opposed to wanting to start a fight. Now, of course, not working at unity at the expense of truth. But the wise one is calm and gentle, willing to talk about the issue but not play the person, playing the ball instead. They're willing to be wrong, to listen, to be persuaded, open to reason, to yield, to pursue peace. That is the wise. Next we read, considerate or gentle. And isn't that just to be like God himself, who's so considerate of us? We deserve nothing from God, but God is considerate towards us and gentle towards us. And so in my speech, in my thoughts, in my deeds, in my dealings, in my actions, am I thinking about how it impacts the other? Am I considerate of how this might impact that other person? Will I be gentle? And if they fail, will I gloat over their failings? I mean, that shows, isn't it? If someone fails, do we gloat? Do we feel good about ourselves because someone failed? I mean, that's how the, the women's magazine, I don't even know what it is, women's yearly or weekly or monthly, whatever it is, that's just the proof to you I don't read it. But that's how they make their business, isn't it? 
They speak of the failings of stars and those who are famous, and people gloat. People feel good about themselves. But that's unwise. We're no better. Next, what do we read? The wise is submissive. Now, submissive, that might sound like a, a dirty word, but it is to be wise. To submit is to be wise. Because submit understood rightly is I am placing myself voluntarily under the authority, under the responsibility of someone else. It is a voluntary thing and it is a wise thing to submit. There are proper ordering of society and relationships that God has put in place for our good, good ordering. And so to submit is a good thing. It's a voluntary, willing thing. For example, children to parents. Children are meant to submit to parents. It is a good and right thing. Within the marriage context, Ephesians 5, wives to husbands. In the right way, it is a beautiful thing. In the church family, the, the elders are to bear responsibility and not for no reason. And so the church are to respect the elders, to submit. Submission is a good thing for good ordering of relationships. And that is to be wise. Next we read, full of mercy. That is, not always demanding my own rights, to have it my way, but being willing to overlook, to forbear in love, to show mercy, not take out revenge. I'll get you back because you did that to me. I mean, imagine if God were to be like that to us each time we fail. To be wise is to be full of mercy and good fruit. You see, you can tell the type of tree you are by your fruits. If your fruits are gentleness and kindness and love and patience and self-control, then we can see you are a wise person. The tree is good. But if your fruits are nastiness, impatience, rudeness, arrogance, pride, then that shows you are an unwise person. Next, impartial. Now James has already spoken about this early in James. He says we are not to show any favoritism, treating everyone equally. And finally, verse 17, sincere. That is sincere in our care and love for each other. Don't fake it. Don't put on a show. Be genuine about our care. Be sincere. Not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. And what's the outcome of all of this? Or well, verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. And so what that says is those who just love to quarrel, to fight, to be contentious, to pick a fight, to stir up the anger of others, to make people more red-headed, more hot in their head, to, to cause offence, to gossip, to slander, to presume upon the intentions of the other person. You did this, therefore you are like this, and you intended this to cause dissent. What will happen to such people? 
or they will reap a harvest of broken relationships, of hurt, of bitterness that they might continue to bear and carry, and dysfunctional relationships. But the peacemaker, well, they are like God, and they will reap a harvest of righteousness, a life of godly living that is pleasing to God. It's so important, these things, I think, because they apply to all of us. And we might, in the same day, move from being wise to unwise to being wise again because of the decisions we make. I recently heard from a wise man speaking to him. He said he was given the opportunity to listen to some enticing gossip. Someone was very angry and wanted to share and, and gossip and slander him. This wise man, do you know what he said? He said, I will not be baited by gossip. Gossip's always enticing. He said, I will not be baited by gossip. I will have none of it. That is wise. You see, it is God's truth applied to life. It is living it, not just knowing it. It is not about having a big head, but a big heart and a life that reflects that. And so, a year older doesn't mean a year wiser. Well, not always. You can be the top of your field, a university lecturer, an executive, a director, a CEO, a world leader, but yet remain unwise. But why is that? Why is it that you can be so intelligent, so bright, so clever, but yet remain unwise? Or is it not because this world has turned its back on God? Is it not because this world has, in a sense, become too clever for its own good that now we claim that God does not even exist? Too clever for our own good. Is it not ultimately because we do not know God? You see, there was a time in history where our our education institutions, the, the universities, were a place of wisdom, of gaining wisdom. Do you know that most of the Ivy League universities in the States, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, they were established not as places to get you a career, but they were established as places to train ministers for the gospel. They were started by ministers, many of them. In Harvard's student handbook of 1646, we read this. This was what they want of every student. And it's Old English. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning and seeing the Lord only give wisdom let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him you see the, many of the universities w used to be a place of learning of gaining wisdom because it was a place about understanding and knowing God in fact if you look at that old crest that's the old one, they don't have it like that anymore. Do you notice the three books? The top two books are books open facing up. The bottom book is a book open but facing down. And what that was meant to mean was the bottom book 
was to speak of human reason. It is facing down because there is a limit to human reason. And what we rely on for wisdom is God's revelation in Scripture. That's the first, the top two books. And so Harvard's motto used to be truth for Christ and the church. It used to be a place you go to gain wisdom, to live it out. But today, university is no longer that place to gain wisdom. Many have become so secular, so liberal, so anti-God, so anti-Christian. So where do you go to gain wisdom? What is the beginning of wisdom? Well, we know that, don't we? It's to come to Scripture. It's to come to the Word of God. It is the fear of the Lord. It is knowing God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is seeing the cross of Christ, and there you see the wisdom of God. Because what do you see when you see a crucified man on a cross on a Roman hill out in Palestine? What do you see? You, in fact, see the wisdom of God. In the eyes of the world, it is foolishness. Why would God do such a thing? It is foolishness. But there you see the wisdom of God and what God is like towards us. What do you see? You see a God who is so gracious and patient that he will find such a costly way for our sins to be forgiven. We see a God who is so loving and merciful that he would even see his son flogged and tortured and crucified. You see there the wisdom of God. And so that is wisdom. To know what God is like. To know what God is like towards us. And to live a life like God. Godly living. Christ-like living. That is wisdom. That is living wisely. And that's why the first of our, of our values as a church is God-centered lives. Not a big head, but a big heart and a life that reflects that. And so today, as you reflect on this, your own heart, your own mind, your own lives, and as you think about the week ahead, there will be thousands of opportunities where you can decide, will I be wise or will I be unwise? Will I do what God says is right and good and honours him? Or will I follow in the ways of the devil? I mean, we have to apply that to our lives. And then we have to reflect, if God has been so loving to me, he knows my heart, he sees all that goes inside, but he's been so loving, then wisdom says, in my relationship with others, I must love like God. Even when it's tough and difficult, that is wise. If God has been so patient with me, and I make mistakes over and over again, but yet God is so warm and caring and, and accepting of me, then wisdom says, I be patient with those around me, even when they fail me and disappoint me. If God has been so forgiving of me, then wisdom says, I better go on forgiving, even if I've been hurt so terribly. I've never hurt God as much as needing him to lose his son. If God has been so gentle with me, so kind and gracious, then wisdom says, the next time I get hurt, I find myself in some conflict, then how I speak, how I react, I be gentle, I be gracious. If God has been so impartial and accepted me, 
then wisdom says, that's how I'm to relate to all those around me. Impartial. No favoritism, but with generous love. And so what do you think? A year older means a year wiser? It is possible. It can be true. It can be true for all of us if we apply God's truth to our life and live it out to his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you do grant us wisdom from above. And so help us to not be fools, to live in the ways of this world, to seek the applause and the success of this world, but to be wise, to live out lives to your glory that reflects who you are like, to be godly and Christ-like. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.